Hello, 1030 people at Good Shepherd. I'm Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here. And whether you're live streaming or whether you're live, I'm always really glad to be able to, this is like my favorite moments of the week, is to be able to connect with you on a Sunday morning and to break open God's word and, and hope and pray with confidence that it's going to do something significant in your lives. We've been in this series called Relationships, a series of conversations over the last five weeks about how it is that we can not have phony connections, but real, genuine, authentic relationships. And, and the cool thing about the series is not only that it's the first message series I've ever done with a bulletin board behind me, uh, but also that we have been talking about the same material in small groups, in Bible studies, our student ministries, and our children's ministries throughout the whole church. We have been learning some of the tools involved in having relationships and how it is that most relationships go along this model where you know people and trust them, and then you rely on them and commit to them, and ultimately it re results in this is whether romantic relationships, professional relationships, church relationships, the crowning touch is touch. And some of you who are paying super close attention and you were here last week, you're like, wait, we did touch last week. That's the last column. This, that should be the last message in the series, but oh, no, 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 no. We're today going to have uh, going to be talking about having a relationship with God. The, the name of this message is God. How's that for an awesome message title? It's God, because we realize that having this kind of connection with God where we know him and trust him and rely on him and commit to him and ultimately even touch, ha have divine touch from him, that that's the key to every other relationship that we're going to have. And so we are for this particular message on God, how to have a, a real relationship with God, not a phony connection with him. We, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to open your Bible and put a finger there. The New Testament letter from Paul, pastor, missionary, author, to the church in the Greek city of Philippi, it's called the letter to the Philippians. So just whether your Bible looks like mine, put a finger there. If your Bible's on your phone, scroll there. And as you're doing that, just so you know, you may not know this, the book of Philippians, like every other letter... In the New Testament, and some of you may not know anything about anything in the New Testament, and that's okay, but if you know just a little, letters in the New Testament like Romans, Corinthians, Thessalonians, all those New Testament letters were to real churches, comprised of real people, going through real stuff, but get this, by and large, the people in those, in those churches could not read and so the letters were designed to be read out loud to the gathered church community. Virtually every book in the Bible was written for people who were largely illiterate. So it was written for the ear. And that's going to matter when we look at what it is that Paul says to the Philippian church. And it's going to matter a lot when you're able to realize, ah, that church heard those words way just because one or two in the church could read them out loud. And again, you may not have known that, about that's how the Bible is designed and, and how it was originally de delivered. It's just it's still true. The other thing that we believe about the, the biblical library here, and this may be one of those things that you're not sure about, you don't, you don't know what you believe yet, or you're really glad we believe what we believe and we talk about it, but it's this. In leadership here, we believe that the Bible, that God breathed his life into its words. 
He put his truth onto its pages. The Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And out of that conviction that the Bible really is God-breathed, we have this custom. Some of you are already beating me to it. When we, when we talk about the Bible together, we lift it up. And you may think that's kind of strange, and we admit that, that, it's, that it is odd. But we've discovered this is a moment of oddity that kind of shapes our identity as a community, that we're a collection of people, and we don't have life figured out. Can I hear an amen? amen. But we know who does, and we are glad to surrender to his authority as he's revealed it in his word. Amen? So before I say anything else, let's pray. So Father, thank you for the goodness of your word, and thank you for the privilege you give me of speaking on it. I just declare, Lord, with joy, I am powerless without you. But because of you, I'm never helpless. Fill me now and everyone within the sound of my voice with the goodness and truth and wisdom and delight of the Holy Spirit of God. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as, uh, as I begin this message with probably the most clever message title ever, God, I, I, I want to do something that I don't ever do in starting out a message. And, and I want to start out this message by doing something I don't ever do because there, there's something I'm going to be sharing with you about, um, just, just like right now, that I really believe in, and I really get kind of excited about that. And, and don't hear those words and, and think, well, does that mean most of the stuff you talk to us about you don't really believe in and you're kind of bored with? No! It's just that I really believe in this because I think it describes so many people, and it's this. Most of you are better starters than you are finishers. Most of people, most people are really begin good at launching things and not so good at completing them. And because I know that is true of so many people within the sound of my voice, I want to do this thing that I don't ever do when I'm starting out a message with you all. You, you ready for me to do this thing that I, you are? You don't just get on with it already. You're, you're, <laughs> I am going to start this message with a quote. I don't ever start messages with quotes. With a quote that I read in an article recently. We're going to throw it up on the screen. Going to keep it up there for a little bit. It's this. Unfinished projects don't go away. Instead, they become ghosts that haunt you. We're going to leave it, leave it up there. You can take a picture of it. You can jot it down. It's... <laughs> It's pretty profound, I think. Unfinished projects don't go away. They instead become ghosts that haunt you. And that's some deep stuff right there. I mean, that explains, does it not, the partially cleaned out garage. It explains the unfinished basement. The half-painted kitchen. It explains the membership that you bought to Planet Fitness <laughs> and used for one month, but you're still paying on it. It explains the marriage you walked out on. And even though you'd give anything to be able to walk back into it, you can't. 
It explains even the faith in Jesus Christ that you started with conviction and enthusiasm and fire, but now not so much. Unfinished projects don't go away. Instead, they become ghosts that haunt us. And it is true in so many areas of life, personally, professionally, diet, relationships, but maybe it's more true any, uh, of anything else. It is true of our life of faith because we've been in this series about relationships. And we've realized together, and, and if you're brand new, we're so glad you're here today. But over the last five weeks, we've been talking about how in romance and how with friendships and how in business and how even at church that, that you want to know people to a higher level than you trust them. And you want to trust them to a greater degree than you rely on them and rely more than you commit and, and touch Touch is kind of the, the crowning touch on relationships. And we've, we've even seen from the very beginning that relationships get all out of whack when, especially romantic relationships, when you know people just a little and you touch them intimately. And we've seen all the fallout that happens from that. And so that's the journey that we've been taking. The whole church has been taking the journey over the last several weeks. But today... Today, we, we begin to, we, we really culminate the series by exploring what does this relationship with God, what does what we call at Good Shepherd, a living relationship with Jesus Christ, how does that form the basis of and the strength for every other relationship that we will have in life? And again, as we, as we think about that topic, I, I get a little excited about it and I get a little bit eager about it because based on what I know and based on what I see, a whole lot of people, when it comes to their relationship with Jesus, are better starters than they are finishers. Because for those of you who have said yes to Jesus, and I don't know who that is, but those of you who have said yes to him, you think back in your life, and for so many of us, there was some sort of catalyzing event. Something happened that lit the flame of your faith. For some of you, it was failure. Man, you had that marriage failure. You had that professional failure. You had that sobriety that slipped away. And that failure felt so heavy and so profound that you were like, man, I got to get God in my life to help me get out of this mess that I have made. And that was exactly what led you to say yes to Jesus. For others of you, it was, it was transitions in life. Like you were the new kid in town. You're like, I don't know anybody here. Might as well go to church. Or, or you had kids because you followed that very typical route that a lot of people, you grow up in church, you go to church in high school, you, you go to college, and then you never go to church again. And then you, have, you get married and you have kids, and you're like, well, might, well, might as well. We got to give them a foundation. This is transition. And then maybe the transition for you was a new job, and you feel uh, uh, you know, kind of out of your league and over your head, and man, a, a little extra prayer didn't hurt anybody. So it was transitions that was the catalyzing event that made you say yes to Jesus. And, and, then, and then for others, and I know this is true of a lot of people because it was true of me, there was someone, 
someone who is able to tell that Jesus story with such persuasion or, or that someone who, who and, and they had something in life and, and you wanted what it was that they had or actually you wanted what it was who had them. And it turned out that the one who had them was Jesus. And, and so that person was why it was that you said yes to Jesus. And so wh whatever it was, whether it was failure or transition or a relationship, so many of us who call ourselves Christian, we, we had that fire lit and, and we were on fire and we were alive and it felt warm. You know, you, you move from Pluto cold and distant, rocky and remote, to mercury on fire and adjacent to the sun. The sun, you see what I did there? <laughs> thank you. Adjacent to the, to the sun. And, and, and then, and then things happened the way they always do. Life got in the way. And what did seem so alive and so fresh now seems so dead and so stale. You, you have moved actually from Mercury back to Pluto, which I don't know if you know this or not, they don't even consider Pluto to be a planet anymore. And you're not sure if you would call yourself a Christian anymore either. So for those of you who are really good at starting and not so good at maintaining, of course, I want to help you get your loving feeling back for God. And what we're going to do and how we're going to explore how that happens is we're going to look at these words that, that Paul, pastor, missionary, author, 20 or 30 years or so after Jesus died and rose again, what he writes to the church in the ancient Greek city of Philippi, remembering that the Philippians were going to hear it, only a couple of them could read it. And when we think of Paul, again, you may not know this, but when we think of Paul, the catalyzing event in his life happened 20 years or so before these words were getting ready to read, when he was on the road to Damascus. And some of you are like, whoa, that phrase about having a road to Damascus, that comes from the Bible? Yes, it does. And so Paul was on the road to Damascus. And do you know what he was going to do when he got to Damascus? He was going to arrest and imprison and torture Christians for being Christian. And while he's on that road to Damascus, the Lord blinds him. Talk about a, a catalyzing, intervening event. And, and Paul's like, okay, 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 Lord. I believe in you. I'm going to stop persecuting you. Can I have my eyes back, please? And, and so that launches Paul into this ministry. Well, by the, time, by the time that we get to Philippians, it's now 20 years later. And, and Paul would have every reason to have started his faith strong, but he would have every reason to be feeling quite stale and quite over this Jesus thing already. You know why that is? Because he writes Philippians. He writes his letter to the Philippian church while he's under house arrest. And why was he arrested? For the crime of being a Christian. Ironic, isn't it? 
that he's suffering 20 years later the very same thing for which he made other people suffer a generation before. And so given that sad irony and given, given that sort of desperate predicament, it would make a lot of sense if Paul was jaded, if he was over it, if he was sort of undone with this faith. But that's not at all at all what happens. Look at, as we get to Philippians chapter three, look at verse four. And, and, and he's, he, he feels like he needs to try to convince or remind the Philippian church why they're not all that, while their, their, their position in God doesn't come from their accomplishments, but from Jesus's greatness. And, and as we read what, what Paul has written, I can't help but think that this is like a speech he's given before, sort of like his elevator speech. And I'll show you why. Here's how he begins. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, which means if any of you all in Philippi think that you're in with God because you're so good, I have more. Like, I'm a lot better than you are. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. And really, what Paul is doing, he's giving his birth certificate and his resume, his pedigree and his accomplishments. And he's saying, man, I was born into a great, you can't be born into a better family than I was born into. And then I took that great beginning, born into a great Jewish family, and I became a great Jewish scholar. That's why I'm a Pharisee. And we, we a lot of people think Pharisee is like an insult. In, in Paul's day, it was not an insult. I'm a, I am all that. Paul is saying, just look at my birth certificate, look at my resume, and tell me you wouldn't hire me. And then he goes on, verse 6, keeps piling it on. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And I just have to think, oh, yeah, this is a speech he's given before. He's recited this stuff before. Then it turns, verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, first part. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Oh, man. Writing in Bible days, it was backbreaking labor. The materials were extraordinarily expensive. And so when any biblical author repeats anything, it's the Bible's neon light that says, pay attention to this, this really matters. And, and so when Paul, for Paul to say twice, I consider everything good I ever had, I consider my birth certificate and my resume, I consider all of that loss. I, when, when I compare that stuff that I was born into, that stuff that I've accomplished, when I compare that with what it means to know that Jesus is my Savior and my Lord and my Sovereign, there's no comparison. Wh whatever I thought compared actually doesn't compare. And again, he, ke he keeps reminding himself as re he recites his story. And then he brings it all home. Last part of verse 8, look at what Paul says. I consider them, meaning birth certificate and resume, garbage that I may gain Christ. I consider all that stuff garbage. Now, can I give you a, a vocabulary lesson here? That word, can I? Yes. 
Thank you. Yeah. That, that word that in English we read as garbage, or if you're really sophisticated, it's garbage, <laughs> was originally, in the original language, Paul's original speak was, 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 speech was excrement. Yikes is right, like, like waste, like a dog pile, like stinks to high heavens, like you do not want to step in it. And so what Paul is saying is all my accomplishments, this great family that I was born to, into, these great accomplishments in my life, my birth certificate, my resume, I put it next to Jesus, and next to Jesus, all my stuff becomes a stinking dog pile. And it made it pass. That's the language he used in the Philippian church. And do you remember how I told you these letters were read to the churches? And can you imagine the Philippian church gathered together and there's eight-year-old boys in that church and they're hearing these words being read out loud and they hear the dog pile and the eight-year-old boy tries to stifle a laugh, but what healthy eight-year-old boy wouldn't laugh at that? And and his dad's next to him and and dad's trying to get him to stop laughing too and and dad can't because dad's laughing himself because every dad of an eight-year-old boy is secretly eight years old himself can hear an amen for that. So all of this, all of this made it through the Philippian church and they weren't the least bit embarrassed with the language because they knew that it conveyed a truth that everything that you can accomplish and everything that you can become born into compared to the value of knowing Jesus Christ really does stink to high heavens, really is a dog pile in comparison to. And I love how this speech that Paul gives, this section within the letter, it is just so clear that as he recites and repeats and recites and repeats, as he gives his elevator speech, he's not only instructing the Philippians, he's reminding himself, Every time he goes through this litany, he is reminding himself of what an incredible mess he is without Messiah and how good it is to be saved by Messiah. So when you realize what Paul is doing, he instructs them and reminds himself. He repeats and recites and repeats and recites. He's never away from just how desperate he is without Jesus. Here's what I want you to know. For every one of you who really good at starting a relationship with Jesus and not so good at maintaining it, it's this. Give yourself continual reminders of your constant need. Take from Paul's cue that the apostle of apostle, he had to remind himself every day, oh yeah, Paul, every time you think you're all that, Remember that you're nothing until you're all his. And remind yourself that, and remind yourself that, and remind yourself that. Give yourself continual reminders of your constant need. The only way to maintain a relationship with Jesus is to to sustain that sense of desperation. You wake up in the morning and, and you say with joy, not as an obligation, you wake up in the morning, you're like, hey, The best thing about my life is that I depend on Jesus for everything. The truest thing about my identity is that I'm bought. And that if I wasn't bought, I would be without hope in the world. Man, anybody who's been a Christian for more than five minutes, your great danger is to think that you're better than. 
or that you got it figured out. Both of those are lies from the pits of hell and I don't want you to buy them. Give yourself continual reminders of your constant need. I am powerless without you, Lord, but because of you, I'm never helpless. It's so much like that friend of mine who has been uh, sober from alcohol for 30 years, like he was an active alcoholic, and then 30 years ago got sober and hasn't had any alcohol touch his lips for three decades, and yet he still goes to meetings. You know, I was like, well, why? You, you got this thing licked? You're, you're over it? You don't, why, why are you still going to meetings? And so I asked him, hey, why do you still go to meetings? And I, I love the answer that he gave. We're going to throw it up on the screen. Here's what he had to say. I love the question. I'm honored to answer. I asked Jesus this question. I asked him if I should go to meetings anymore after I was saved. After all, all you need is Jesus, and Jesus is all you need. It's pretty much in black and white in the Bible. And I believe he spoke to me and said, why would I want you to not go? I saved you, so you will help others be saved. Like Paul was not healed. There's a, a, a scene in 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul, where Paul has an ailment from which he's not delivered. Jesus has a reason for not healing me. You may, wait, you haven't, you haven't had a drink in 30 years. No, you're never fully healed from alcoholism. You're always healing. You're, you're never recovered. You're recovering. Jesus has a reason for not healing me so that I can be of maximum service to God and to my fellows. He told me always to go. Then I love this. And alcoholism and death are always knocking at the door. So I will go. And it is one of the highlights of my life to watch people recover and to join in fellowship. And th yeah, that, that's what it's like. Give yourself continual reminders of your constant need. Here's a guy who hasn't had a drink in 30 years and yet he still says, I am power, hallelujah, I'm powerless. Or it's like what happened to me over Labor Day weekend. Now, on, on a couple months ago, and Labor Day weekends, you may not, not know this about me, you know, I kind of like college football pretty much. And, and you may, some of you, if you haven't ever been here before, you don't know this about me. If you have, you've heard it a lot. I like tennis, like tennis is in my life. I like tennis. Well, Labor Day weekend was like a super big weekend for college football and professional tennis. Because college football had its launch, and professional tennis was the U.S. Open in New York City. I used to work for the group that puts it on. Big deal. So you got college football starting, U.S. Open finishing. I'm settling in for a weekend of entertainment and sports programming. And nope. <laughs> Turns out that my cable provider had a fight with ESPN. <laughs> And ESPN took its programming off of my cable provider's network. And so this weekend that I thought was going to be full of college football and U.S. Open tennis was full of a whole lot of nothing. And some of you are like, well, why don't you stream your stuff, you loser? And I, I just, I'm a loser. I like, I like the cable. And, and so there, there was no TV, no football, and no tennis. And you know what I realized at the end of that weekend? I felt so much better. 
it turns out that vegging out on all that stuff is draining. And because I didn't waste my time watching college football or watching professional tennis, I instead, I had more time to think, I had more time to read, and I had more time to jot stuff down. And at the end of the weekend, I had more energy than when I had begun it. That's what it is like when you realize even college football and even U.S. Open tennis, it's a stinking dog pile <laughs> compared to knowing Christ Jesus. Give yourself constant, continual reminders constant need or it's like what i'm talking about is like that letter to the editor a generation ago of a newspaper this is how you know it was a generation ago because there was an, actually a newspaper that people read and paid attention to and this this letter to the editor i want to share it with you a churchgoer wrote a letter to the editor of a newspaper and complained that it made no sense to go to church on sunday and that got my interest I've gone for 30 years now, he wrote, and in that same time, I heard something like 3,000 sermons. But for the life of me, I can't remember a single one of them. So I think I'm wasting my time, and the pastors are wasting theirs by giving sermons at all. Well, who do you think you are, buddy? <laughs> this started a real controversy in the letters to the editor column, much to the delight of the editor. And it went on for weeks until someone wrote the clincher. I've been married for 30 years now. And in that time, my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals. But for the life of me, I cannot recall the entire menu for a single one of those meals. But I do know this, without them, I would have starved to death a long time ago. Yeah, that, that's what it's like. Give yourself continual reminders of your constant need. And I'm not talking about anything new. I'm not going to give you some new tools, some new suggestions. It instead is that old, ancient, tried and true where you wake up and you do acknowledge I'm powerless without you. The best thing about my life is that I'm bought by Jesus and dependent upon him for everything good in life. I'm talking about the power of collective worship. I'm talking even about the opportunity that we give you to give because when you give to God's work, what else is that other than this acknowledgement that everything I have, everything good in my life, it comes from the Lord to begin with? And, and I'm even talking about the fact, I love this. I, I love how the word and concept religion has a bad name. I mean, you've heard, ah, it's not, not about a religion, it's a relationship. My other least favorite, I'm, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Do you know what the root word of the word religion is? It comes from the same root as ligament. You see the L-I-G? And that word religion is simply this way of reminding us that we are connected together in the same way ligaments connect bones with bones. Without certain collections of people, community gathering, without certain habits and patterns, we would fall apart. In fact, the truth is, you can't be genuinely spiritual unless you're first authentically religious. 
And do you know that this church, where, where we, you know, we obviously we don't do a lot of written prayers and we don't do a lot of kneeling and standing. It's not very formal. Do you know the most religious act that we do every week? It's when we lift up the Bible. And that is our collective way of acknowledging. I don't have life figured out, but I know who does. And we want you to do that. We want that, that religious act together so that you will come to love the scriptures so that you can adore the Savior. And we have a tool for you because when I, when I tell you, I want you to give yourself continual reminders of your constant need. We have a tool to make it as simple, not easy, but as simple as possible, it's called Come Alive Daily. And, and if you sign up for Come you can take out your phone and you can sign up for Come Alive Daily. You will join the more than 2,200 people from this congregation and literally from around the country who get Come Alive Daily. And if you sign up for that, I can promise you that at four o'clock in the morning, tomorrow morning, in your eat, you don't have to get up at four. It'll still be there when you get up at 4.15 or six o'clock or when it'll be there because we discovered a long time ago we don't want to take the people of good shepherd and say read the bible will you that doesn't work we instead put an arm around your shoulders and say let's read the bible together and we'll help you understand what it is you're reading and if you sign up for come alive daily tomorrow you'll we're in the gospel of john together the 2200 of us You'll, you'll be at the resurrection of Jesus. That's where we are in the God. Only the most important event in the universe's history. And that's how you'll get to start the day tomorrow. And that will be your opportunity to be able to declare, apart from the resurrected king who is resurrecting me, everything else in life is a dog pile. Give yourself continual reminders of your constant need. Let's pray. God, you're good. You do give us every good gift. We are powerless, helpless, and hopeless without you. But in you, you give us strength, and you give us truth, and you give us hope. Would you resurrect this community, even as you get us to remind ourselves always of how desperately we need you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.